Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Jack Dickens. Dicko, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Jack Dickens. Dicko, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me, mate. I love your podcast. Very good, very good. So let's get rolling here as usual. Jack Dickens as a teenager, what was uh, the first foray into betting for you? Uh, Chris Camilleri, who runs the racing analyst and works with Dan O'Sullivan now, he and I went to school together and it was a... There was more action at school than there would be at the betting ring at Flemington on this coming Saturday for a group one day. We used to uh, throw coins against the wall, like $2 coins, and just get everyone in. That's how we spent most of our like, sort of year nine to 12. I probably spent too much time there. I didn't do very well at school at all. Uh, I, I nibbled horse racing slightly, but no, nothing major. I probably <laughs> I was much more into my AFL. Than, than racing, but that's probably how I got into racing was through uh, senior footy and the blokes playing seniors were, were all betting. That's how I sort of got my first taste for it. And I didn't really take racing seriously until I stopped playing footy at about 25 or something like that. So there's got to be hundreds of footy clubs around Australia, Aussie Rules, NRL, League or, or Union, whatever it might be, cricket clubs that have people that you know listen to the races while they're there or whatever it might be. How did you switch over from, from that interest, that involvement, probably every Saturday, playing for a couple of hours and then checking the results after it or catching the last or second last race in the change rooms? What was the, the impetus to switch over from being recreational to hopefully better than break even ultimately? Just, uh, well, to be honest, it was my rig. I I never trained properly and was always uh, underprepared. And I was underachieving as a footballer, and I wasn't making not nearly enough money to justify what the time it took. So, you know, everyone loves cash, and when you start to get a little bit of success in racing, I think you sort of get that taste for it, and you want it again and again. And I was listening to your podcast last week with Luke Murrell, who's actually had a fair impact in my sort of racing career, and what he said really resonated with me in that horse racing and punting sort of replaced his, his cricket and it's replaced footy for me. It's, it's like a competition for me. Like every Saturday, Wednesday, Friday, it's like I'm going to play footy. I prepare for it, get myself set for it mentally and then, you know, go through the same process each time. And you're competing with the bookies or you're competing with yourself or, or both? Myself, myself, yeah. Not, not, not so much bookies or... Even other people on the exchange, I, I just compete with myself. I, you know, if I, I I'm reasonably uh, adequate at the moment as a punter. You know, I finally figured it out, but I, I still beat myself up over stupid mistakes. And I, I, I'm much. I'm just. I'm just trying to beat myself. I just want to get better all the time. I want to learn and get better and not make the same stupid mistakes again and again. If you could look back and hover over yourself as a 25-year-old doing this, uh, how much have you improved or developed over the last sort of X number of years? And I always have a fascination with that idea of you always think you're at the tip of the sword and then when you go back and review, it's horrifying how not at the tip of the sword we all were or are. Oh, I was completely clueless. Like, But the sickening thing is, is that I, I, I honestly would have had so some months would have been bigger than the months I have now, but I was clueless, just all ass. But I think that kind of arsey run is what gets you really into it and let, lets you sort of 
dive deeper, learn more. Dive deeper again, learn more. That's not right. That's right. And you sort of start listening to more content and watching more content. And I'll always just pick and choose little pieces of like little pearls from whatever I've read, listened to, watched, and say, oh, I could use that. I could use that. I remember doing the form on that Racing Network app, which was like TVN's app where you could watch all the replays yep. from Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, which is actually quite fascinating that five or ten years ago it was easier to watch replays than it is today. Like, well done, Racing. We'll get to that certainly a bit later on, but in terms of test- testing your ideas and theories and when you're picking up nuggets along the way, is there any good or easy way that you found to sort of test things other than just put them into practice day after day? My number one rule is never force it. So never force a bet, just there's always another race. But the, the most important thing you I think you can do as a punter is the sooner that you keep and log every single bet that you ever place and make a detailed Excel sheet on it with notes on why you found that bet, et cetera, et cetera, all the variables that to do with that bet, the sooner that you can sort of cut them down and go, oh, this is wrong, that's right, there's fat in this, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So bankroll management, most people, because I'm fascinated by, that, by the idea of you are probably like most or a lot of people that enjoy enjoy having a bet, probably understand a good amount or can out-talk most people at the pub when they're talking about racing but will never do it full-time, even if they desperately want to but you know won't give up their day job or don't want to take the leap or the risk. But most people will have a bank and they'll be willing to spend 100% of that bank on a Saturday afternoon, let's say, which is fine from a recreational perspective. But getting from that sort of mentality over to this is your livelihood and you need to make a living out of this. It's, it's no longer sufficient to be betting, you know, three or 4% of your bank on any individual bet, for example. How do you get from that mindset of this has to be number one priority? I think secondly to keeping a really detailed spreadsheet on your betting is you need to really start betting so that it's like, it's like life or death. So it's, it's not fun. It's not a joke. It's, it's, this is serious shit and I need to get it right. And then I milked the corporates for as long as I could and would trade back at points via Betfair. And now all my betting would be done through Betfair basically and I'm trading all the time. Like, so I'm protecting my bank, snipping some money where I can and then launching when I'm ready to go. But I might launch once or twice a day, if that. But I really protect the bank. And I think when you – I never, never remember who said it, but there's a saying that when you're a young bloke, you take a hundred bucks to the races and you want to take a thousand home. And when you're a pro, you take a thousand and you'd be stoked to take eleven hundred home. And I think that's the mindset that you've got to take when you are betting with your livelihood. So let's dig let's dig into your sort of routine and what you do from a week to week standpoint. Do you mind taking us through just what you value, what's important from you know, Monday to Sunday? On a Monday I'll update my punting form database. So I use puntingform.com.au, use database, which is all online. I don't need to install anything on my computer. But it, I can log all my notes and all my betting through through puntingform. Um, so I'll, I'll update anything I've missed on Monday. I'll catch up and review any sectionals and replays I've missed, but not do a stack on a Monday. Uh, Tuesdays, I don't do much. I just quickly – well, not that quickly. Like, it takes me a while, but I do the form for Wednesday, and then we do a podcast. Drew and I do a podcast. Then Wednesday, I'm at the races. Thursday, I'll go to the races sort of every second Thursday, pending where they are. So if they're at, like, Echuca, I won't be going. But if they're at Cranbourne, I'll, I'll be there for sure. Whilst I'm there or before or after, I'll do the form for Saturday, and then we do the preview show. Um, Friday, now there's night racing just kicked off in Victoria again, which is great. So Friday morning, I do the form for Friday night. Um, we do a podcast, and then I go to the races. Saturdays, podcasts, and then races. And Sunday, I don't do much at all. I just do a review show in, at night time or in the afternoon with Drew and Walsh, whoever's around. But I, I'm inputting my mounting yard comments, like my thoughts on the yard, and then my thoughts on the horse's runs and if a horse is suited or not suited throughout the day when I'm at the track. I find like if you, you can waste a lot of time just sitting around at the races doing nothing. 
And if I've already got the data in into the punting form, it's done, and I don't have to do it when I get home. And it suits my sort of personality. I'm like easily distracted, and yeah, I'm easily distracted. So if I can just pump it out and it's done, it's it's, it's much better. So the I'm interested in the preview show for you. Is that sort of an outlet where you can throw out ideas, throw out your uh, your position on a race, let's say, or how you think it's going to go, and it's a good way to sort of bounce or get feedback sort of from other people and. What value do you think the preview show has other than, you know, you want to put it out to the world and it's interesting and useful content? The preview show, for me, like Thursdays is my favorite day of the week. So that's today's Thursday. So I'm heading in to um, catch up with Nick Heathcote and, and Jonathan Walsh tonight, which is a big positive of racing for me. Like they're two blokes I've ne- I wouldn't have known if I wasn't betting. And now I get to go in and we just have a few beers discuss the races i'm fascinated by walshie's opinions on the races because he's coming from a bookmaker's point of view and scoot's got a completely different um angle to to i have and whoever we get on the show they'll have a different view and i love discussing it and and hearing what they're saying and they might have like seen a trial or got a tip or whatever it is and it just all adds to the the puzzle but they're fun they're just it's the most fun i have all week is thursday nights and if they weren't fun, I wouldn't do them, to be honest. Yeah, okay. So it, it kind of probably breaks up from the monotonous seriousness of, of, you know, betting for your life, essentially. Yeah, but also with my like my erratic sort of personality, it, it's good to know I've got to go on YouTube on Thursday night, so I know I have to do the form by then. I don't want to go on there and, and not know what I'm talking about. So, like, I didn't do the review show this week because I just – I've got a bit going on and I hadn't done the work, so I don't want to go on there and speak if I haven't researched it adequately. So that it puts a timeline in my week where I've got to have Saturdays racing done to a point where I can talk about it on Thursday night. So let's dig into your Saturday then. Take us through. Let's go sort of start to finish. A lot of people ask what punters are doing, you know, on a Saturday. Everyone can understand that the races go all day or if it's an NFL Sunday, you know, there's eight, ten hours of games going on. They want to know what people are doing. Yeah. So if you don't mind, do you want to just run through what your Saturday's like? And you're probably one of the, I guess it's no longer common for people to be at a racetrack, so I'm intrigued as to your perspective on this. Um, so, so Saturday morning I get up and I do something, some form of exercise to like clear my head. Not heaps of exercise, like I'm not running like 10Ks, but something. Then I come back and I'll that, that'll be about 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm back and shower. I'll just quickly go through, there will be, say, three to four races that I'm really keen on, and I'll go through them again and, like, check the, the, the section of times that certain horses did on the punting form stuff, looking back and just tighten up that race. I'll check the stewards or, like, normally Drew will tell me uh, any, like, changes of tactics to adjust my speed maps. So I want to get them spot on before, before 9 o'clock. So then at about 8.30, I'm pretty much happy as I'm going to be at that point of the day with my maps and prices and that they get sent off to the guys who subscribe to them. Uh, then at about 10, 10.30, Drew, Pete, Anthonis, who's our Western Australian mounting yard male guy, um, the three of us do a podcast, which will also incorporate the the changes to, to the weather and, and the track. So I'll ask three, three people I use to get track information out of. So I think it's really important if you want to bet before you get there and before you see them run, you need to have a pretty good idea of what you think the track's going to do. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that on the track and any moves that have come from 9 o'clock, cause that's when the betting really gets serious. You know, you might have been hard against a horse and it's just hemorrhaging early and you, so you've, got to, you've probably got the race wrong, uh, things like that. And then I get to the races... Hopefully about an hour before. I'm getting much better at that. Um, I'll then walk around to the stables and chat to anyone I know, just see what how a horse is going. Like again, there'll be three or four races, and that, that'll mean there's like five to six horses I'm pretty keen on. So I'll try and find out anything else I can find out about those horses. Uh, chat to the the on course punting community is incredibly intelligent incredibly helpful and, and much like a team so you get lots of information out of a certain few guys and girls and then 
set up my two I've got two Surface Pros so I've got one that does all my bedding and one that does predominantly the mounting yard so I've got an Excel sheet that we've built that marks certain factors that uh, Pete, Rob, Rob Scar is our Sydney mounting yard mail guy the three of us have like sort of designed a sheet that caters to the factors that we want to mark for a, for a horse fire them up make sure they're working there's nothing worse than the sheet shit in itself on a big day and then before each race, I'll go over the map again. Then I'll go and mark the horses. That sheet gives us 100% market, so a price for every runner in that race. I then put that price through a blend sheet, which takes a percentage of a Betfair price, percentage of my prices I've marked, and then leaves me with a price. And then I've got the, the overall price, my map, and then I decide from then whether I want to bet or not. I send out the text for the Mounting Yard Mail subscribers. And then straight away through the day, I bet with another guy on track now, Josh, who's really helping. And we'll go through and watch the replay straight away after the first race and start to try and find any edges we can. Like this this is the part where the winners are coming from. It's on pace. It's, it's the rails off, whatever it is. Um, and just repeat that race sort of procedure for the for the next eight or nine races, however many there is, and then as soon as, as soon as the racing's finished, man, I'm in the car and I'm done. I don't, I barely look at Twitter. I don't care for like anything. I'm just sick of racing by the end of the day, to be honest. And then like say on a Sunday, I, I won't look at it till like 4 p.m. I, I kind of would. I kind of hate it if there's a horse I really like in on Sunday because then I've got to sort of get into it again. Yep. So it sounds like you have a game plan you know, pretty strict game plan for the day. How flexible are you within that? You said you've got, you know, your prices. It sounds like you've got a checklist that it sounds like Rob um, helps you with to put together so you can go through and, you know, utilize certain things that you value. How flexible within all of that are you? Are you willing to shuffle and move on a lot of things or is it only certain uh, things that you'll move only, on? Only very slightly. Like if I've marked a horse, say a horse is $8 on the fair, I've marked it four dollars from the yard but the blend price is like twelve dollars i won't bet it because i've marked it twelves overall and it's eight dollars so it's not a bet that's essentially how i'm betting but i want the horse to be in that part of the track or be suited by the race shape the tempo i've predicted so the, the maps and the tempo are key those horses you're keen on let's say you found three for the day or four or whatever it might be are they based on, you know, race shape, the maps, a lot of things pre-race day that you can sort of evaluate? And then when you're going on race day, there's a few things you value and you're hoping to see them all line up as well? Yeah, 100%. And I've also got a profile on that horse. So I might have said that horse was behaving poorly last start or you know, had a horrible strapper last start. And if those things have improved, then it's another two ticks. And then I'm, I'm just launching and just praying to, like, God and... Allah and, and Harry Potter and every one of them, just please God, let this, let this thing win. So run us through the price blending again. That sounds interesting. You've got a an assessed price probably in the morning and then you've got a, a mounting yard price or whatever it might be plus this other system you use? Yeah, so it takes a, it takes a, a, a price from Betfair at a point in time. It takes the price that I've created before I got to the races and it takes the mounting yard price. And blends them together for one price. Okay, so I'm. This is maybe a weird question, but if you if that spits out nine dollars, and maybe in the day before you thought around nine dollars, and on course you think nine dollars, and it's sixty to one for some reason, is that a good thing generally or a bad thing? Yeah, good. I I'll launch big time. Okay, it's not this horse has got three legs today, and it's someone else knows something, and it's no good. Yeah, but like when I say launch, if it's sixty to one, I. I I don't need to have a stack on to win a stack. I, I wouldn't just I wouldn't bet the same amount if I marked a horse a dollar fifty before I got there from the mounting yard as a dollar fifty, and now it's um, now the horse is four dollars. I'd, I'd have a, like you know a certain amount on that. I'd be having a tenth of that on the sixty to one shot or twentieth of it. Yeah. Okay. And what about the other way? What if you know nature strip you don't like at all and it's odds on and you may not know who's going to win, but you just know you don't want that. Are you going to then... Oh, laying, laying, big time. Yeah. That's why Betfair, I think, is... 
I think you're just going to look like if you listen to this podcast and you're getting into it, Betfair is going to teach you things just by watching it, watching it all happen through the day. Like if there's severe money to lay it and you hate it in the yard, it's going to go out. So even if you're cautious, you can just get in there and lay and you can get back out and make a little earn. But yeah, I, I, I lay a lot, a hell of a lot. Because it's, it's pretty hard to get a horse as short as the market often from the yard, in my experience. Okay. And do you always find if you look enough and you've done enough analysis, you're always going to find negatives and that will sway you or not? No, no. It's it's always just it's different. you just got to hope that it's a good race. Like some races, like you'll mark every horse and it's they're all about the same. And you're like, oh, well, next race kind of thing. Yep. You just hope that you can get those races where there's like two standouts from the yard. You didn't mind them on form. You got a little overlay and they map well. Competent jockeys on. Sweet, that's launch. But yes, I still respect the market though. Like, say I found a found a wee horse and I thought it was. I marked it fives. I marked it from the yard fives. It was seven dollars before I looked at the horses, like fifteen minutes before the race, and now it's twelve dollars on the fair. I'll probably let that go because certain stables at the moment I find that their late Betfair moves pretty much dictate the result of that horse. Okay. So you're not thinking you're getting overs and even if it's even if it's weird, the, the 10 times it's 7 out to 12, it only has to win you know X amount of times to be worthwhile long term. You're not willing to, yeah. to get it. If it, if it was, say, a uh, Mick Price or a Maloney horse or something, I, I'd probably still bet. Like right now, at the, in, in this current climate of betting, if it was a wee horse, I would just let the race go because I just I can't beat him. If he's if his horses are drifting, they're they're not going to run to their ability, in my opinion. So you mentioned the on course punning community. A lot of people don't go to the races or only go for alcohol and music purposes. Let's say, what what value is that for you? And you mentioned it's a bit of a team. What type of things can you glean from from those other people there? Uh, different guys will have different edges. So there'll be guys who are really good at track play, uh, guys who are really good at mounting yard, guys who are really good at pricing horses, guys who, you know, like I might have mapped a horse to, to get forward and he's got it to go back. So I'll be like, oh, fuck, I don't know if this is going to happen. I might just let this one go. Um, and just like, you know, on-course sort of information that people get by various sources, it all sort of helps. And you, you soon learn who's worth listening to and who's not. But, you know, that, that happened 18 months ago kind of thing. So you, I'm only communicating with people whose opinions I, I want to hear. When you're at the mounting yard, can you tell us what you're looking for or is that proprietary? No, I, I'm happy to share some of it because it's obviously it's my edge. That's how I'm winning at the moment. Um <laughs> I like different horses to move like in certain ways. So like a shorter distance horse, I'm happy for it to move in a certain way and a stayer. I want it to, to walk a certain way. I, I pay a lot of respect to that. I put a lot of weight in the way a horse reacts or doesn't react to a jockey mounting it. And I think that a strapper is the most underrated person in racing, like in pay and in value to a horse's performance probably closely followed by punters but i think strappers are just severely underrated they're, they're really really important to a horse's performance so if you had to distill all the different things you do and convert it into sort of one sentence to describe your edge have you thought about what that might be if you had to sort of explain to your your wife or your missus or your your old man who asks about it what what do you think you would say in that scenario my my edge is reading people and horses, like body language. I think it's come from like sport and you know like picking the the slowest looking, shittiest shittest looking you know half forward flanker so I can play on the halfback flank and play like sixty meters off him because he's no good, <laughs> like stuff like that. You know you, you, I I read people and I hopefully get it right enough to win. Read people. I treat horses like people. Like, you know, if you saw Buddy Franklin walking around, you'd go, fuck, he's probably a pretty good footballer. 
Yeah, no. But if, but if you if you saw like um, Luke Parker or Dan Hanbury, you'd, you'd I'd know that he's like Dan Hanbury's probably an outside player. I, I'd pick that, and I'd take that towards horses. I guess that's where it started from. But I, I learned a lot from from uh, watching Glenn Pollard work, more so with his betting. I learned heaps from Michael Lamborn. I think I think like that information's out there. If you want it, if you want it, you can get it. So why did you move down to Melbourne? Was there a specific reason on the betting side? No, no, it's all to do with a woman, Jake. Oh, which I, I'm, I'm still with, so it's all working out. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Betfair market late. Tell us what you're looking at specifically, if you don't mind, or what things, what are the you know red flags, what are the key alerts? You know, for someone who doesn't use Betfair a lot, who might be getting started, is there anything you can share that's sort of um, really valuable that you use? I, I just watched the flux late. So I set my dynamic odds to last um, 10 minutes on Betfair. But again, I'm sending my text up, up at five minutes before the race or aiming for five, often three to four. But um, So that last three minutes, I'm, I'm watching it right till they jump. Like the, when Humidor won that group two, that 1,400 at Caulfield a couple of weeks ago, it was 44s into 22 late, like last five minutes. So... I don't think the horse can win. I think it's fat. I don't like the horse over 400, but it's Darren Weir and it's hemorrhaging. So I've got to protect my my bank. You know, I've already invested in the race, so I I, I, I chop on it. I save on it. So translate 44s into 20s for the average punter out there. What in your mind does that mean? Someone knows a lot more than I know about this particular horse and this particular race that they're willing to. to Back a horse from forty-four dollars into twenty-two. So I've missed something. I don't know something that someone else does. But the best thing about racing is, even if they're cheating or whatever they're doing, it all ends up in Betfair. So the only reason you cheat is to make money on the punt, and it all will go through Betfair. So if you've missed it, just watch the fair late. You don't even care what it is. You just know it's it's likely a signal, and you're going to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like at twenty two bucks, it's not a huge amount to save on. It's sort of for your mental health, if you know what I mean. Like just this will make me sick if this thing won. I'm just gonna chop this. Someone thinks it's a big chance here. So how often does that happen? Not often. Oh, there, there was another I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Darren Weir either, but there was another case uh, He does have a lot of horses who are winning too. Yeah, he basically runs Victoria, so he's relevant. Uh the Wednesday meeting at Flemington just gone. He had two horses in an 1800 meter like Derby trial, and I was really keen to approach Discreet, who's a horse that rolls forward and has run really good times on the punting form stuff. And it went 350 maybe to six bucks late on the fair, and I ignored it. And I had the, his his other horse third pick from the mounting yard, and on form. And it's one of those cases I was talking about before where I was kicking myself afterwards. Like, Betfair was telling me that they thought this other horse was going to win and approach the street wasn't. And now when they, when they jump, John Allen snicks the horse heavily, so he restrains the horse and the horse over races. So it doesn't roll forward. It sits worse in midfield. Hits the line super, runs a good race, but runs second or third and wears other horse one. The market told me that there might be there might be a change of tactics here that they haven't told us about. They said they were going to ride for cover, but that doesn't mean I'm going to snick the horse to last, if you know what I mean. Cover can be cover can be one back defence. Yeah, so it could be, you don't care what it is. It could be they're trying to settle it down for 2,500 metres coming up. It could be it needs a run. It, ha- it missed the training session that week because it had the you know, yeah. flu or whatever. It's just something is feeding in the market. They're, they're trying to get the horse, they're trying to teach the horse to settle so it gets a trip gets the derby, whereas I was treating it like the horse is the best horse in this race, it parades well, it should win. So in hindsight, I should have respected the Betfair drift late because they weren't trying. They were like, it was like a trial for this horse to see if it could settle. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and totes, the Betfair exchange is a low-margin, buy-sell, fixed-odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. 
traditional form and handicapping, it doesn't sound like it's a massive major component. Is that fair to say or is it? I don't understand ratings. I don't I don't even know really how they work. Um, I use punting forms worksheets, which for anyone who's young getting into it, I, I don't. I think it's the best way to start. On their worksheets, you just put in your own rating, and it creates a price for you out of a hundred percent market. So I give. I've got uh, my own sort of rating system, I guess. But it's. I would. I've never read anything. I've never read Don Scott. I don't understand what other people talk about when they're talking about this is a ratings moral, or you know, it gets four kilos here or whatever. I just. I, I read the punting form data a certain way and I create a market from that and my own notes like not suited last start, suited last start, etc. So do you think you're missing something or do you think whatever those ratings and analysis and handicapping and form is, it's already factored into the market anyway? The bookmakers are doing it. Spot on, man. I, I think that the one thing I learned off Mark Lamborn was the most important thing is you've got to have an edge and you've got to bet. But... I'm never going to be better than like uh, Adam Blanco, who you just had on at rating horses, at doing ratings. But everything that they do, everyone else can do, and it's all going to end up in Betfair. So I can just copy, I can just respect the market a little bit to cover the, my inadequacy in uh, doing ratings. But my edge is is reading the horses in the mounting yard, and there's no data on that. There's no computer algorithm to read a horse off a TV. And, and make a price. It's all my, in my head and my opinion. So that's why I focused hard and I still am pumping like data. Like everything we record from the yard gets gets saved and we're analyzing it and just trying to get better and better and better because it's our edge. Yeah, so let's quickly touch on the review process. What do you sort of go through on you know a daily, weekly basis to make sure you're, you're logging the right things and you can use that that helps you get better moving forward? I share I share the database with two other guys who we all review the same races, so it's a, a mixture of opinion. It's predominantly mine, but like I respect what they say, and we're essentially just looking for things that the, the that the common like the obvious that are, that are missed. Like like a horse was when they say a horse over raced, often it means a horse was snicked. So they like the the horse was heavily restrained. I hate that, and I think the horse can improve off that next start. I'm just looking for horses that are suited or not suited, essentially, or you know, even in the run. That's 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 as simple. I, I don't overcomplicate the review because all the data, all the sectional data, all that stuff is on punting form for me. Yeah. So I'm just looking. I'm looking for things that that isn't there. So I'm focusing heavily on my mounting yard information in the review and little things like uh, not suited or heavy drift late or back late whatever it was, things like that. So take us back to the start of the mailbag. What was the impetus to get that rolling and get it out there and, and how has it progressed? I just wanted to have a crack at it. I wanted to go out on our own and um, see if we are good enough, see if we were interest, interesting enough to be, to be like watched and good enough to... I didn't want to be a, a brand that just tips horses and is like connected to corporate bookmakers we're fully independent of of corporate bookmakers. We're not independent. We're just on our beer sponsorship with Mountain Goat, Jakey, which is enormous. That is very good. How do I do that? Because I'm I don't have many of those anymore over here. But I when I go back home, I do. Well, I'll sort it out for you. Sneak me a slab or two. <laughs> it's it's actually one k from my house, the brewery, which is amazing. But <laughs> yeah, like we we we're affiliated now with Punning Form, but I fully like. I'm happy to do that because I think they're the best and I use it every day. We're, we're affiliated with a beer company, but we're not affiliated with any bookies. We're independent and we push hard that we're accountable. I don't want to be like just a tipping site. I want us to be accountable and either we're good enough and that we're going to provide betting advice that's worth buying or we're not and it won't last. But we've been going for like well over like 18 months now and we're winning and I can promise you we're working our asses off at getting better all the time and I can only see it getting better. So is it continue on the same path with the mailbag or is there any new aspects coming up for the rest of the spring or even next year? What have you got planned? We've started podcasts, previewing midweeks and doing this like sort of uh, Saturday pregame pod just to 
um, update, like I was talking about before, we've got a review podcast in Sydney, which is like Rob's analysis from the mounting yard and Drew's thoughts on the data. Um, and we've got Pete, Anthonis and Luke Dighton in, in Western Australia. So they, they'll do a preview and a review of Perth stuff on a Saturday. Um, moving forward, we're looking at doing sort of kind of like masterclasses at the races though. So it'd be something like at Mooney Valley. It's just an idea I've got. And we will be doing some functions at, at the brewery, at Mountain Goat Brewery, which has just, just sort of happened now. Um, well, I'm always like open to getting someone on, say, in Brisbane or in Adelaide. But again, at the same time, it's kind of like how much betting information do you want? A lot, of, a lot of the feedback I get is they just want Sydney or they just want Perth or they just want Melbourne. Otherwise, they're just endlessly betting. So... Yeah, I'm not, certainly not going to force any more products. If, if the right person comes along and wants to be part of the team, then I'll seriously consider it. But right now, we just sort of want to get what we're doing down pat and perfect before we get too far ahead of ourselves. So who are the best customers for you then? Is it similar you know, people that are a bit more younger into the game and don't have the time to do what you can do and, and want an answer, an answer basically and some interesting content rather than some random tips on a, at a TV show or whatever? Well, the best and most successful clients I've got, and I've had the majority of these guys from the start, are the guys who just use it to overlay against their own stuff or whatever else they're using. They don't use the mounting yard just as the pure and only way to bet. They overlay it against a set of prices they've got from somewhere else or, they're, or they've made themselves. Or, okay. You know, and they're and they're watching Betfair in the last five minutes as well, and they're, they're making their own decisions because I can't walk them through the last five minutes. They've got to figure it out themselves. Yeah, you're another variable or a bunch of variables. Yeah, into one. I'm part of the I'm part of the puzzle. I'm not the answer. Yep. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit before, but younger punters, and it sounds like your path is one that many people could go down if they, you know, desperately wanted to. Do you have? Any specific set of advice? I'm sure people come up to you at the track or they watch the show or, you know, they might send you a nice tweet or a, or a shit tweet or whatever it might be. But <laughs> what, do you, what do you tell those, those younger people who are interested in getting involved? If I was talking to myself like five years ago, I'd just say consume as much content as you can from people who seem like they're respected in the industry. Like, like we've got heaps of content. Your content's great. You've got like elite people on there to do with racing that you just pick up one or two things off each person. The racing rant's got great content. You need to bet. You need to bet like you need to be like fearful of losing your bank, not just like, oh, this is the I've got a hundred bucks, so I don't care if I win or lose. And keep the detailed data and of your betting, like we were talking about earlier. Um, <laughs> and if I was starting now, I'd I'd get the punning form it's like a ten dollar a week thing, and, and you can get your own worksheets, which you can create your own prices, build your own speed maps. You can make your own notes on any run, which will be stored in your punting form, and then you sort of start to build your own database. So you got your, your betting database, and then you got your horse database. And the sooner you do that, the sooner you're into it, and you've got starting to build a base from which you can launch from. And the the number one thing though is just got to find an edge. Whatever it is, I was just like treading water till I really dove into the mounting art. I reckon, just like literally treading water. But now, I've got direction, I've got purpose, I've got an edge, and it's working. And it beats being on the tools. Absolutely. So between even the pen- people you've mentioned on this show already, Rob, Chris, you know Adam Blanco, Daniel O'Sullivan, the other people at the track that you, you know, you obviously talk to, even clients of yours that use some of your mounting, mounting out information and they're probably sitting at home. How many different people have different approaches that, you know, someone might say, look, I, there's no way I could do what, what Dicko does. There's no way I could do what Adam Blanco does. Or is there a number of different ways to approach it? Or, or what, are you, what are your thoughts on that idea? I reckon there's a thousand ways to do it. You could just sit at home and, and just buy information, all different sets of information. If you're betting enough, you'll cover the cost. It's just about using that content, using all the information to, to win. Like it, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start doing ratings. I'd buy ratings because I don't think I can do them better than someone else can do them. 
if I thought if I if I knew someone who could do like the grouse speed maps for Victorian racing, I'd probably buy them so I don't have to do them. So I could be fresher when I do the mountain yard, for example. I, I think you, there's a thousand ways to win at, at racing, and the sooner you sort of dive into it, the sooner you'll find it. But at the same time, you never force a bet. Just never, never rush it. Just let them go. There's always another race. Always another race. I want to switch over and talk a bit more generally about the industry and and a few things, maybe even about uh, sports betting. So let's start with that. Sports betting is obviously the competition. Most people understand that. Um, There's no in-play betting in Australia on sport, which is a bit bizarre, but it is what it is. bit bizarre. You can go... I can go down to the, I can go and inject heroin into my arm in a in a clinic, or I can go play the pokies all within a hundred meters of each other. But I can't, and like when I'm at the poker machine, I can actually go and have a bet on the game of NBA. But as soon as it starts, I can't then bet. It's fucking ludicrous. Some of the, I don't understand it. It's so stupid. So what? The racing industry. I know we spoke a little bit before 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 we got started here about you know, what it was like when we were teenagers and how largely it's much the same and, you know, you just get you just get tips from a race caller at a harness meeting who is also calling the race who's probably also doing three or four other things. Um, you don't know if, you know, it's if it's eight from four, from two, from five. You don't know if the eight's a good price <laughs> at even money or yeah. four to one or twenties. Um, or there was they used to have those ratings in the bottom left hand corner at the tab, and it was some horse was a hundred, the other one was ninety seven, the other one was ninety seven, and the next one was ninety four. And, yeah. And ninety percent of the people there would probably use those things as the guides or the late mail, whatever it was, or the the market mover and things like that. The market mover, yeah, the market mover, how, the plunge. How how do how do we get better at those type of things? You think how do we evolve from what's you know the norm in the industry? I don't watch enough of racing, uh, or sky racing, to critique it. Um, I watch a fair bit of racing.com, and I think that racing.com is progressive. And, like, if they're a footy club, they've got, like, a youth policy. There's a lot of young and I think pretty competent and good people uh, in racing.com. And they do and they are starting to have more and more opinions. Um, I think that women are underrepresented in – racing media and in racing like grace ramage and jane ival are quality and jane ival i've got heaps of respect for her opinion from the mounting yard but like racing's biggest positive i think from if i was running racing is everyone can compete like it's like i'm talking from a betting point of view it doesn't matter what you are who you are where you're from everyone can compete and that the, the the messaging around racing and the targeting of the ads is just, oh, I think it misses the mark by a mile. I can't, it's its not even talked about because it happens, it's just like accepted how that we have this continual co- like com- competition of, the, of, this, of New South Wales and Victoria. Like competition is fantastic, I think, for growth, but racing New South Wales is not in competition with racing Victoria. Racing is in competition with sports. And if they realised that, that we could get together and it'd just be, it'd be so much, it'd be somewhat better than it is now. There's a, there's so many race days where there's just it's just shit. But then like on Saturday there'll be really good racing everywhere, but you can't consume it all at once. And you you got to literally, like if someone's at home, they've got to literally change channels to watch two different group ones, or they watch it on Sky, and then they'll also in between that get like the Heelsville Dogs. Like racing, thoroughbred racing needs to stand out from the other forms of racing, in my opinion. And there should be one free-to-air channel that has the grouse in Sydney and the grouse in Victoria all together. I, I can't understand how and why it doesn't happen. Just short-sighted greed, I think. So what about not misleading? I don't think it's misleading is the right word, but what about sort of content that's put out that's clearly not useful for any purpose other than you know the five like all the Everest content well even stuff like even you hear race callers when they talk about you know a horse crosses easily and then drops anchor and most people that 
um, I talk to in the industry say it's generally, or if not generally, always a bad idea to do that. You're just letting everyone else catch up and then they're going to have momentum or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, but I reckon if you sat down and had a beer with like that race caller, he, he would genuinely believe that that was a good thing. Like I think it's education is the problem there. It's not it's not that race call is like like betting in play and just trying to trick you. Like he just doesn't understand. Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and I think and also it's fine if people who are betting legitimately believe that it's a good thing to cross drop anchor and then kick on the turn, and it may be good for some horses because they have incredible acceleration over a hundred meters mid race yeah. let's say so that that that's all that just stirs the debate and i think that's a good thing um but i think it's transitioning from that old way of thinking to how and it's in in a lot of industries it's the same if you did what you were doing a decade or two decades ago you're probably going to be left behind in almost any other industry i think that's why it's key like when i'm saying consume as much content as you can if you want to get into the game i'm talking about your show our shows the rant because they're independent and they don't care what other like if they offend someone, because just as long as they're being honest. And at the moment, if you have a job at lightracer.com, dot com, you got to like you'd obviously have to be pretty careful what you said. Like I saw a Brad Davison tweet once, like oh, I can't say that or this because then I won't be able to talk to him and get get the information for the next like interview and stuff like that, which is a valid point, but it's yeah. also a problem. Yeah. Like if if the people presenting racing to us can't just speak the truth. Then, but it's the same. It's the same in like all all major sports, I guess. But that, that that's why there's just like real value in the independent shows, and they should probably be supported more than they are by the, um, the racing bodies because they're key to to growth and to turnover. I think race clubs should be the ones that sort of focus more heavily and on different avenues of of, of media and standing out and providing content and encouraging like attendance. I don't understand how race clubs seem so heavily focused on members and give off like a sort of elitist vibe, which uh, I just, I don't see it working long-term. I don't know of anyone who would want to be part of that. And maybe I don't hang around the right people, but I don't understand. I, I think there'd be so much more juice in running like a – if you attend Flemington on Saturday, you get a $1,000 play money and you have to you have to be – like you have to scan your, your, your entry pass or something to play and it's all off your iPhone or your Samsung, whatever you got. And it's like a tournament-style betting through the, through the nine races at Flemington and there's big prizes and, you know – There'd be everyone would want to get involved in that. Syndicators would be giving away horse shares and <laughs> corporate bookmakers. All these people who make so much money off the game would, would be pretty keen to get involved in something like that, I reckon. But ideas like that just seem to not resonate with the powers that be. Yeah, I'm I'm headed to Vegas shortly, and when I go to Las Vegas and there's a casino, I certainly don't have to pay to get in. They quite literally want me to they'll do anything to get me to go in there largely different and i guess that whole approach of having you know flemington having four big race days in october november let's say um and that funding most of the year seems to be fine with them i think but it misses the point on one huge sort of part of the industry which is the the betting component how how often and i don't live in australia anymore so maybe this has changed but how Often is the focus on that betting aspect, the turnover. I hear things like, well, the turnover's up across all codes and things like that, but there's just so much more content. I'm imagining per race or per day, it's probably not just overall. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Greyhound growth is bigger than racing growth. I heard that somewhere, I think. Like, so that, that doesn't really mean anything. The growth is up. Just people love betting. Like, <laughs> the way that on-course punters are treated is pretty frustrating. I've had very good conversations with, with like the, the guys at Caulfield. They've been really helpful. But say at Flemington, there'll be places where a bunch of us will sort of, our yeah, heat map will be the same, you know, all year. You know, 12 months a year, every time we're at Flemington, you sort of move the same way. Already as the racing picks up, we're not allowed in certain areas. 
So like we're there all year turning over money and encouraging turnover. And then as soon as uh, the racing picks up, we're treated like sort of third-class citizens. <laughs> like it's just it's fucking staggering, to be honest, and very frustrating. Because they'll end up – it's kind of like the government making you quit smoking by making cigarettes cost like $65 a pack. You'll almost end up becoming a member to just be able to make a living and they'll win. <laughs> yeah. But that's only because I'm winning at gambling and I need to be there to do it. Everyone else, or like lots of other people who aren't in my position, I'm sure would just go, fuck this, I'm going to go to the pub. Yeah. Or I'm going to I'm gonna go and watch the NBA today at Crown. I understand what's happening you know, in the NBA. It's easier to read and bet on. So before I let you go, I want to ask, what are some of the things that people shouldn't be doing and some of the missteps you might have taken in the past or things you wish you've had a done differently if you had have gone back and had a chance to rectify are there any things that stand out that you can sort of, we talk about a lot of things what to do but what about what not to do when i started i would have spent 80 percent of my form form time previewing a meeting and 20 percent reviewing now that would be the other way around uh i would have bet into five times the races that i bet into now they'd be the two big things Focus heavily on reviews and never force the bets. Just let them come. And, and one more other point I want to touch on, we missed it earlier, was uh, was bookmakers. It's obviously a very corporate-driven industry and then there's the exchange sort of approach. What is your time spent on Betfair versus everything else? Do you have multiple accounts with a lot of corporates where you're allowed to bet and, and that's part of it or is it solely focused on, on Betfair? Well, I have a... I have a product called The Movers, which is going really, really well. Been going for almost a year. And that is betting through corporates and, and trying to bet early. And there's there's obviously ways and means of getting on to certain amounts, which I'm not going to go into. Um, but come race day, I just, I'm all about bet fair. I, I haven't had a bet with a bookmaker. I, I haven't had a bet with a bookmaker since Warnable. And I only started doing that in the last day just because it was pumping in there and I wanted to get involved. I wanted to like, sort of be part of that. And it was all proper betting. Like if you go on Melbourne Cup Day to a bookmaker, like Walsh, you'll be writing like $2.50 each way, $5 to place this and shit like that. Like, and you'll be waiting behind them as they're turning off the price. You can still – <laughs> it just doesn't suit uh, my style of, of like doing the yard and – like say at Caulfield, when I, where I do the yard and where I want to go watch the race, and same with Flemington, I don't go past the bookmakers, so it's not convenient. But if you were near them, you could definitely chop the on-course bookmakers for better odds than you get on the corporates. And sometimes, if you're smart enough, you'll beat them on Betfair as well. But I, I don't. It's not doesn't suit my style of, of how I'm moving around during the day to, to to be going past the bookies to be able to do that. But I'm sure you could make. You, you could be betting through them big time on track. And they've got to take your bet. So it's good. Yep, yep. Awesome. Digo, thanks very much for your time. I'm um, I'm looking forward to the, the spring carnival. Hope you'll be able to catch up and have a mountain goat or two. 100%. I look forward to having you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.